Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch. I'm Brad, your podcast friend, and we're sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Five locations. STLMasses.com is their website. Go there. Look at those menus. Oh my goodness. The pizza's so good there. The pasta. They got steaks. They even got some seafood. It's Masses. They're my title sponsor. You know that. Go in there, tell them, or drive up there, curbside it, do whatever. I guess in some places you can go in. What a weird, what a weird year. But that's why I'm doing a baseball podcast. Uh, I hope people enjoy uh, some of the stuff I've been doing with the Howard Stern, former members, and going down memory lane there, and uh, talking to some WWE folks, just kind of branching out a little bit. But let's get back to, to the core of what this show was, baseball. And I miss it. It's getting cold outside. I'm going to play some of my favorite moments that maybe you've missed. It's been a while since maybe you've scrolled all the way to the beginning in 2016 of the Here's the Pitch Fun. This thing was called Baseball and Beyond back then. But uh, I've had some fun guests telling fun stories, and I'm not going to play them too long, but there's some fun stories in here. And we'll start with uh, Brian Jordan. Uh, This was his first appearance, now a two-timer. I thank Brian Jordan for coming on this year. But uh, the first one, we really delved into him making that decision going from football to baseball. And then we kind of talked about uh, the 1996 team, which is always fun to me. So here's a little bit of that chat with Brian Jordan. I love talking about your career. When you think about a guy playing football and baseball and doing it at the highest of levels, you've told me the story a little bit about how you decided on baseball. But give me a little bit of backstory about you're playing football, Cardinals call. I mean, you're playing for the Falcons. I mean, you are with the Falcons. You are with the Dirty Birds. And uh, you decide to come to the Red Birds. You decide to change it up. Tell me a little bit about how tough that decision was. And, and, and football was so fun for you. And you were really good at it. Brad, it was probably the toughest decision ever in my life. And uh, you're right. Uh, I was having fun with the Falcons. I was really reaching my peak on the football field. I was an alternate in the Pro Bowl my third year. And uh, my career was taking off. But the Cardinals came calling. And uh, I felt like it was only fair for me to give them a true shot. I was just playing 30 minor league games and I was preparing for football and uh, they never really got a chance to truly see what baseball talent I had and you know when the Falcons didn't re-sign me right away I knew uh, you know I'm a Christian and maybe God is telling me to play baseball and uh, you know I had a family then so that that was also in that decision and uh, you know what I have no regrets because I had a fantastic time here in St. Louis and a 15 year baseball career. I find that to be the, a huge gamble, though. I mean, to be to know at that age, I got this NFL career. I'm already doing it. I'm on uh, NFL prime time, and I'm going to do the baseball. I, I, what was in your mindset? The gamble that you? I mean, did how how hard was that decision? Well, Brad, I graduated from University of Richmond, so you know it was a smart choice to make because you know I was among the leaders in tackles every year with the Falcons and around the league, so I. You know, my body was really feeling it, and I knew if I wanted to play baseball, I couldn't continue to beat up my shoulders and, and, and truly give that a shot. You know, it wasn't like my man Deion Sanders who wasn't tackling nobody. He was picking it off and scoring touchdowns, but I was I was really hitting guys in, uh, in a big collision every game. So the concussions were, were a huge thing. Well, not back then, but I'm glad I got out when I did. Uh, but it really worked out. I, I believed in my talents on the baseball field, and I wanted to show that to St. Louis. And uh, 
I did just that. And uh, like I said, it turned into 15 years, six with the Cardinals at the big league level, which I, I was hoping to spend my whole career here, to be honest, Brad. But, you know, unfortunately, Walt Jockety and Tony La Russa said I played the game too hard and they, they didn't want to invest that type of money in, in a risk uh, as far as the injury. So, you know, they kind of rained on my dreams and parade, but, you know, it all worked out for me. Who plays too hard? I mean, who who could That's say? That's what I'm saying, Brad. Come on. <laughs> I've never heard that in my life. But, you know, they had their reasons, so it's business. You kind of had the struggle early on. I remember the curveball was a rough pitch for a young Brian Jordan to, uh, to master. When you're going through that up at the major league level, because you seem like you kind of ran through the system real fast. and you, I think you even told me uh, back in, in Florida that you had a major league contract while you were in the minor leagues, right? Or they, how did that work? And, and just tell me about that, that struggle, thinking, holy, maybe I can't hit a curveball and this will never work. You know, it was amazing because uh, I look back, and Ted Simmons was the general manager that year. And I just played down in Little Rock, Arkansas, double A. And we had spring training, and he was going to send me to back to Little Rock. And I said, no way I'm going back to Little Rock. And Ted and I went back and forth, and he said, look, I'm going to send you to Triple A. And in the first week, if you suck, I'm sending you back to A ball. And I said, look, I'll take the chance. I'm, I know I'm going to be okay. And I, you know what? I stopped through Atlanta on my way to Louisville. And Ted Simmons calls me and says, Andres Galarraga got hurt. You're flying to St. Louis. It was an unbelievable turn of events and experience in my life. And, uh, you know, I got off to a great start. I mean, pitchers didn't know who Brian Jordan was. They thought they could throw the fastball by me, and that was my best pitch at the time. Unfortunately, Doug Drebeck figured out he can't hit a curveball. And, uh, you know what, that's all a part of the learning. You know, they sent me down. Uh, I woke up every morning just seeing curveballs, and that became my best pitch to hit. You did rake. I want to talk about 96. I, I just love that team. I think it's always interesting because you guys in 95 did not look good. The pitching was terrible. You guys get rid of the whole front office. The manager comes in. It's Tony, the Oakland guys, and you're still kind of one of the leftovers. Ozzy's is one of the leftovers. Uh, Mabry's one of the leftovers. Pags is one. Of, but they bring in Carney Lansford and Mike Gallego and Rick Honeycutt and Dennis Eckersley. And, and just talk about that struggle early on. I, I think it's amazing because we know what happened at the end of that year. Yeah, you know, it was a tough transition. You know, Tony LaRusso, I respect him unbelievably. And uh, at the time, though, when you, you're used to playing a certain way and, and he comes in and instills all different rules and changes everything, you know, it was difficult at first. It was difficult for the players. And, uh, you know, I give Tony a lot of credit. He had to make some tough decisions early, which the players who kind of hung around didn't like. You know, when you don't start Ozzy opening day, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so it took time that season before we started trusting Tony LaRusso. I, I believe it took almost half the season when Pat Ozzy finally called a meeting and we said, look, let's turn this thing around and we win for for ourselves. And uh, you know what? It was a great story. You know, Tony got his way, we got our way. And, you know, like I said, I, I respect Tony and he went on to have a great tradition here. And uh, I wish I could have been a part of it in the winning ways. But you know what? It was a great 96 season for us. I think about that too, the fact that he's talked about how difficult it was for him because, you know, he comes in guns a blaze and I'm Tony LaRusso, I got the mullet, and George Wills called me a genius. But uh, uh, you guys changed him. And But I do think the one thing that still bothers everyone in St. Louis is him and Ozzy still get along. And I, I know it's got to be, I've talked to Willie McGee about this. Just tell me about what you see with these two, and is there any way we could ever 
I mean, this would be like <laughs> Arafat and Gorbachev getting right. together. You know, I mean, is there any way we get these two together? You know what? It's about the respect that I think both of them have, and it's that ego. And sometimes you gotta have an ego to be great. And both of those guys are great guys at what they have done. You know, as a manager, as a player, and. It was just such a traumatic, dramatic, whatever uh, situation where I don't think it, they can forgive each other. And uh, it's a shame because we, we preach forgiving as Christians, and uh, but it's a tough situation. I wish they could come together and talk about it and, and get over it because I think St. Louis is missing out on something special. Brian Jordan, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, I say it every time, but I mean it when I'm talking about Brian Jordan. The next guy that I want to talk about, uh, before I do that, I do want to remind you to go to YouTube. That's where I put all my new stuff first. YouTube.com slash ST Weekly. ST Weekly. Just search ST Weekly in YouTube, and you can find all of my stuff, all the Cardinal stuff I've talked about, all the baseball, all the Howard Stern stuff. ST Weekly used to stand for Sports Talk Weekly when I was doing a cable access sports show way back in the day, but now it's Stern Talk Weekly. It's South Florida Talk Weekly. It's anything you want it to be. ST Weekly. Go to YouTube. You can see some of the uh, videos that I'm putting up there all the time. Look at it, the old stuff. You can see all the stuff that I used to do back in the 90s, or you can see the new stuff. It's all there at YouTube. Keith Hernandez was on this very program, and a lot of people love Keith. And uh, most people, I'm sure, come up to him and have to talk about the Seinfeld episode with him. So this was almost four years ago, and I had to talk to him about it as well. I hope you enjoyed the story as uh, Keith is quite the character and uh, still going, working on SNY, but uh, I enjoyed this chat with the guy they called Max. You have a borderline Hall of Fame career, but then you go on Seinfeld, and I'm just, I, I can't think that you thought when you did that that it would last and live the way it did. Can you just give me a, kind of the surroundings around that and what it means to people probably want to hear you say I'm Keith Hernandez. Um, um well, Jerry was a Met fan, Seinfeld, and he grew up in Brooklyn and I was his favorite player in the 80s. So he and Larry David wrote this what they wrote. You know, the was titled The Boyfriend. So um they didn't know how to get a hold of me. I don't know why they didn't go through the Mets. I was retired a couple of years at the time and um Eventually they got a hold of me and I just went and did it. It was I'd never acted before and they said I'd had minimal lines and it wound up I was a guest star and I had well, a lot. long series. Yeah, Two parter. Well, Larry David told me when it was all done that if I was really bad, uh, they were gonna not use it in sweeps week and make it a half hour. But they wrote the extra scene and the other subplot was uh, George trying to get unemployment. So that was the next scene, uh, that the subplot that would make it an hour. And it all, basically when it was all over and done with, Larry David said it all hinged on you, how good or bad you were going to be. And he goes, when we, and he goes, and you did pretty good. We were very pleased. And that show turned out to be, you know, iconic. I was just very, very fortunate. Um, it was a great experience. It was a whole week of work. We started on Monday and we finished on Saturday night. And it was all 7 a.m. calls in the morning, and we weren't done till 6 at night while rehearsing and going over lighting and, and what they call blocking, where the actors have got to be positioned so they don't get out of focus. They changed the script. Everybody was involved. There was, there was Larry. There was Jerry. There was three other writers. And all the principal actors contributed every day to try experiment with each scene to make it better. So that 
the creative part of seeing that episode unfold through the week was the most fun for me. But I was so nervous when it came time to actually do it in front of a live audience um, that I, you know, wasn't when it, when I was done and we finished. We wrapped after that once the, we did it live in front of in front of um, in studio on Saturday morning. I was going to fly home. I was so exhausted from the week's work that I just wound up staying in L.A. Uh, at a hotel on, on, on in Santa Monica on the beach for an extra five days just to chill and re- relax, and I finally flew home. And did you ever say, is this really the script? I mean, you had to look at that thing and go, okay, come on. This is, this, <laughs> did you find it funny? Did you say, well, I don't know. This seems kind of weird for me to be saying these things and, and having Jerry come I mean, and, and were you a fan of the show at that time? I was not a fan of the show. I didn't know about the show. I don't, I'm not a big uh, primetime watcher. Still not today. And I didn't know anything about the show. And it was the second year, I believe, of the show. The first year, it didn't quite take off. It took off Basically, Larry David told me it took off after our episode, which is what they were hoping for. Um, uh, when you're reading the script, it's like reading a play, and I, I'm not a trained actor. So, but when I started, we started doing rehearsals of the various scenes, and then I realized that it was pretty funny and pretty clever uh, with the. Uh, when JFK just came out, the movie, the magic loogie, you know, and all that, and all the different subplots, and I realized oh, this is this is pretty good. But I didn't never realize that it was going to be that popular an episode. Last thing I have for you, and I'm sure you get asked about it all the time, the mustache. I mean, it is such a it's a life of its own, right? I mean, this has become your the signature. I mean, Albert Bosky is the Fu Manchu, and this mustache is you shave it, and then people went nuts. Tell me a little bit about how weird. That is, this is part of you. Well, um, to tell you the truth, I grew the mustache. I tried growing the mustache very early when I was young, um, 18, 19. And it's all because of Clint Eastwood and all those spaghetti westerns that he played when he had the mustache. And that's the reason why I wanted to grow the mustache. Uh, So it's all Clint Eastwood's fault. And it just kind of stays with me when I don't have it on. It just... I feel like a different person. I don't feel like the same person. I feel kind of like I'm half naked or something. But uh, it's there. It's going to stay. And it's a pain in the butt sometimes. You get older, you can't, you've got to maintain it and trim it up. And I get a little tired of doing that. But I don't like it the way I look without it. And I'm just so <laughs> used to having it my whole life. So there it is. You're and you're a cult guy. I mean, is it? What does it mean? And I already said last question, but I, I've seen these things where you're coming in and they've got film of you walking into the to the, uh-huh. the ballpark and fans. I mean, they love you up there. I mean, but you've kind of become a cultish type person. Is that and is it it's just part of your thing, right? I mean, you're just I'm Keith Hernandez. Well, I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, I know we're very good in the booth, the three of us, and I must say our producer, uh, Greg Picker. Um, is our producer and uh, realizes my I'm I, it's just me I'm I'm able to be natural and 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 not be forced and um, I can be silly and I think in the course of 162 games and I, I do 110 broadcasts there's not most games aren't as exciting and you've got to have a little uh, entertainment value there and I I guess we appeal to the New York fans uh, but I don't do anything. I mean, it's just me. It's me in front of a camera. It was the hardest thing to do was when you're looking into the camera 
everybody would say, pretend it's your girlfriend. Pretend you're looking at the camera and it's your best of your dad or your mom. You know, well, it's a camera. But you can fall asleep up there too. They even let you fall asleep, and you don't. That, well, that, that was in between innings. That was that was that wasn't a great thing right there. But um, still, I mean, but most people would get skewered, and they're like, ah, oh, Keith's having fun. He's in twelfth inning. Well, that, got, that, got, that got on Letterman and all the all, all the all, all the late night shows about when I. But that was in between innings, and uh, I had done a. A, a, a promotional thing all day that day, and um, it was for Habitat for Humanity. I went over and helped build a house over in Jersey from like six in the morning to like five, and then I went right to the ballpark and I was exhausted. So I just told our AD, and I said, "Wake me up when we come out of commercial." And I laid down. I was so tired, I fell asleep. And then she tapped me on the shoulder, and then my producer put it on the air. And uh, that maybe wasn't the wisest thing to do, but it adds to the, you know, to the, the mystique, the, the lore of uh, our broadcast and, I guess, me. But it's okay. A big thank you to Keith Hernandez. And again, this is a baseball episode for you folks here in the winter just uh, needing some hot stove talk. But not that, ooh, the Cardinals going to get Nolan Ariano, Arenado. No, they're not. They're not going to do anything. They're not even keeping the players that they have. So... We won't talk about that. Let's continue with some fun stories. Who better to tell fun stories than Mike Shannon? He is my all-time favorite moon man. <laughs> He's one of my all-time favorites. And, uh, again, talked to him a while back. But, uh, you know, if you could just sit down with Mike Shannon and get him going, you can hear all kinds of great stories. And I've done that before. And um, I've probably told them a million times, so I'll save that for another time. But uh, this was a time where I was talking to Mike Shannon about some of his fun travels over the days. And, you know, man, this guy's seen everything. But I wanted to, I just wanted a good story about uh, a really big name. So that's where I go with this interview, and uh, that's part of the fun we're having here with Mike Shannon. And, uh, you traveled and you had, I mean, you were with some great names, so you always run into great names. I've heard the Jonathan Winter story. It's great. But did you ever get a chance to run into, like, Frank Sinatra, Rat Pack guys? Or what's your favorite famous person, celebrity, if you have one story? One, one that... Maybe we haven't heard or something. I'm thinking Sinatra. I feel like you and Sinatra together would be something interesting. Anything close to that? Well, we had an off day <laughs> on a Monday, and we played Tuesday night in uh, San Francisco. So I, I uh, arranged for an airplane to fly us to Lake Havasu, and we fished, okay, all day Monday. So then we were going to fly. It was, a <clears throat> it was a private plane, and we are going to fly, fly from uh, Lake Havasu, to San Francisco for our Tuesday night game. This is Monday night. So I said to the pilot, I said, uh, hey, don't we go right over to Vegas? He said, yeah. I said, well, just drop us off in Las Vegas. And I had a friend there. And so anyway, we got there, and he arranged for some rooms, and then said, hey, uh, is there? can we see a show? Said, yeah, you got 15 minutes to get down to get dressed. So we get there. The guy's waiting for us. He's waving. Come on. So I go down. The next thing I know, I have my, my left elbow on the stage. And I said, oh, I know I'm in trouble now. And I look across, and there's Mimi and Hines. And so it's Sinatra's playing. So that's when he owned the Budweiser wholesalership out in Orange County. So he's right in the middle of his show. He's going, oh, he's playing these great men. And you could hear a pin drop, and he stops. And he walks over, and he looks down at me, and he says, hey, does the boss know you guys are here? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> the chairman's asking about yeah. the boss. Yeah, right. Who was it? Uh, oh, Gussie Bush at the time right. because, you know, he had the Budweiser, holers, right. a whole, the Budweiser wholesalership in, in Orange County. And, of course, we, <laughs> so anyway, and I'm going, oh, no, no, no. But I, I was fortunate enough to see him uh, 
uh, play three different times. But uh, Sammy Davis Jr., he was the best entertainer that I've ever seen. Uh, those guys were unbelievable. When you talk, and it was just uh, their talent. There wasn't any of the fireworks and all of this and that. Sammy Davis Jr., I saw him at the Shoreham Hotel in Washington, D.C. with Maris and I. And... Uh, no, it was, uh, you had a date, we had day games back there, and so he came out, and let me tell you what, he came, the standing ovation, he came back out and played some more, and the standing ovation, he came back, and he just kept playing, I mean, he loved it, he was just a phenomenal entertainer, but the list goes on and on, John Wayne, I had a great story about John Wayne and uh, Stan Musial having breakfast, so the bill comes, and, and they were arguing over the bill, and so, so, uh, Wayne says to uh, Stan, he said, Stan, let me get this check. I want to show you something. So the check comes, and it's, I don't know, $14 or something. So he writes a check, signs it John Wayne. Stan says, what are you doing? He said, they'll never cash it. (laughs) (laughs) That is is a very, I I always wonder, do you pinch yourself when you think of this life that you've, I mean, you're, uh, uh, John Mabry calls you America's guest. That's really the only way I think I can describe. Do you ever think this has been, it's not over. I mean, you got nine lives. You would you get nine lives and you use six of them? Is that your line? How do you... <laughs> no, I just uh, I don't sleep. I think sleeping. Uh, I take naps now. I learned that from Musial. I watch Musial all the time. See, I I, I knew Stan when I was in high school. Okay, because I played with his son in, in high school. So I watched him and I watched people over the years and how they uh, took care of themselves and how they uh, handled themselves. And I think that's important. You know, especially when you're young, you look to experience people to see how they conduct themselves. So I've been very fortunate over the years and some of the great people that I've met, presidents and actors and fighters and horsemen and jockeys and the list goes on and on. But the everyday people are the ones that are just phenomenal. It always amazes me how much they know about this business and and, and the questions that they ask, the pertinent questions that they ask. The fans are phenomenal. Shannonisms. I mean, we you see them in the in the STL today. Do you uh, like that you see those? Do you enjoy them? It's it's sort of like yogiisms. He says them. He goes, I don't know what I'm saying, you know, and it becomes a yogiism. You know, my favorite, obviously. There's a full moon here in New York. I wish you guys in St. Louis could see it. I mean, that is just perfect. Do you like that people love these things? Do you know? When you say them, that you're saying them? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of times that it's foggy and you can't see the moon, all right? So, that, you know, if you think about things, but they've been embellished over the years and about half of them I never even said, okay? But, you know, you, do, you take, do you take a credit or do you take the blame? Take your pick. Mike Shannon with us on Baseball and Beyond. We'll do this again. Enjoy your apple pie. It looks delicious. Cherry. They call him the Moon Man, and I'm still not sure if he likes Moon Manisms or likes hearing people tell him that they love his Moon Moon Manisms, as I did right there, but uh, I did, and uh, that was fun. Again, Masses Restaurants is the title sponsor here. STLMasses.com is the sponsor of the show. Masses, they're doing it all. They're doing uh, curbside, delivery, walk right in at some of their locations because there's some places where you can go in and again it's the kind of a line and hopefully 2021 we won't have to deal with things like that but uh, this is a baseball episode because it's the winter and i want to hear baseball stories and maybe you do too again i do a bunch of howard stern things now with some of those those people and quite honestly they're just getting a lot of views and it's making some money so hey that's what i'm here to do here to have some fun make a little money but uh, people are enjoying those. So there'll be more of those coming up here on this podcast, the audio version. But again, on YouTube, go over to YouTube, search ST Weekly, and you can see all of 
those interviews that I'm doing now. The last interview I'm going to play here is with MLB Network's uh, star. I, I, I use the star of the morning, along with Robert Flores and Lauren Cialdi. The, uh, that show is uh, so great. Uh, during the season, MLB Central, it's Mark DeRosa, and I caught up with him at spring training a couple years back, and we talked about his time as a Cardinal. He has some great Albert Pujol stories here. Um, it's just fun hearing him talk about his time with the Cardinals. So let's go back to our chat with Mark DeRosa. Do you have any Tony stories, or do you have any more Albert stories? I, I love a good Tony story. Two, two Italians, probably. No, I wasn't probably. around Tony enough for the three months. I really wasn't around him enough. I just, I just remember him being a super general. Like, I, I always appreciated the fact that he was going to do... Everyone needed to check their ego at the door. And if I was a manager, it's exactly... Listen, I get it. There, you have number five there. He, he gets carte blanche. You got, you got certain guys that have earned the right to do certain things. But he wasn't afraid to do whatever it took, check your ego at the door. I'm going to try and win this game. If I feel there's a guy on a bench that gives me a better chance against a certain matchup, then I'm going to, I'm going to pop the clutch on it, and you better not be upset about it. I appreciated that. Um, yeah, I enjoyed everything about Tony and how he went about it because he, he played to win. He, feelings kind of kind of went out the, out the window, and I, I, I appreciate that. I think we're all grown men. I think there is a totem pole in that clubhouse, and you should kind of know every day, take inventory on where you fall on that. And I really believe that in my heart. Uh, getting back to Albert, yeah, I had a t- t- ton of stories. I can remember being on deck in Houston and him going – he, I was hitting second, which, by the way, is the worst bad place to hit in the world. Everyone said, oh, you're going to get nothing but fastballs. Yeah, but if you make the last out of the inning, you get booed, <laughs> all right? Because everyone wanted Albert to come hit. And I just remember him saying, hey, uh, hey, Poppy, hey, Poppy, sit slider first pitch. I would have never have done that. And I said, Albert, he's not going to throw me a slider. You're on deck now. He's like, no, I got a feeling. He's like, he threw me first pitch slider, and I hit a home run. And uh, when I hit home plate as I was going back, I slapped five, and he goes, you're welcome. And he did that like two or three times for me throughout that second half, and I, I really appreciated that. But just, just kind of the way he went about his craft underneath. And, uh, yeah, I, I get it. It, it, it. it really is. Now that I'm removed from the game, so to speak, it, everyone always says that it, it, the hardest thing is not getting to the big leagues, it's staying in the big leagues. And, and, and that, is, that is 100% the truth. It's staying in the big leagues. And to stay in the big leagues, you've got to be good every day. You've got to be consistent every day. It's the best players in the world. It's on the biggest stage. It's stressful. I think well, Lawrence got to go. <laughs> where are you going? Can I go? Or I'm waiting. Why, do you, why do you have to go? I don't know. All right. I don't. I'll, I'll. I'll find you. Okay. I mean, we're gonna leave all that in. That's your MLB Network cohort right there, Lauren Chinaldi. <laughs> she does great job. I'm seriously. I, no, no, no. I we're leaving all. It's all no editing. Lauren. I'm a does, fan. Lauren does a great. You're job. next. I'm very, I'm very. I'm very lucky. Now, where were you? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm very. I'm very lucky with uh, kind of getting off the field and uh, and being offered the the chance to work at MLB Network and then getting a morning show with. With Lauren and, and Matt Vasquez, and it's been uh, that's kind of to my speed. I like to have a little fun and kind of humanize the players a little bit. So uh, yeah, it's been great. And let's wrap up. You talked to uh, Adam Wainwright here for a little bit, and you talked about the totem pole. And everyone, I don't know if this is what spring training gets too long, but everyone's talking about oh, the clubhouse is so different. There's a different feel, and 
Um, I guess sometimes you can see that, but it, I think it takes more of a whole season. I don't know. Do you do you buy into some of that stuff? Because a lot of people thought. I mean, they had they had all kinds of meetings last spring about who's a veteran and who's going to be a leader, and it almost felt like there's too you much can't force. That. Yeah, it almost feels like there's too much. Talk. Just play the game, right? And that stuff sort of manifests itself. Because now Dexter comes in, he puts a speaker on, and the whole team's like, "What? We we can play music? Like it's just yeah. a weird thing." I think Matt Holiday was just kind of no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Matt's a Big guy, I don't want. To, I don't want to make him mad. No, do not make him <laughs> mad. He's got the biggest forearms in the game's ever seen. But yeah, you talked about totem pole and the leadership and all that stuff that comes about. I mean, did, I don't know if you talked with Adam about that. I know he's talking about curveballs, but just some of the things maybe Adam talked about and just the change of a clubhouse yeah. and, and the feel of a clubhouse. I'm like, like I said, when you came in, it was like, oh man, they're bringing in this guy who's everyone loves. And I remember in 2011 when Berkman walked in, it literally you could tell our everyone just huddled around Berkman. Yeah, I remember. I remember in '09 having a conversation with Albert and I called Colby Rasmus into the conversation and when we got done Colby said Dero that's the first time I spoke with Albert all year now Colby kind of introverted and liked to stay to himself no um for me I remember speaking early in my career in an Atlanta Braves meeting and and I I shouldn't have and I knew I shouldn't have but I felt like the message needed to be said I felt like everyone was beating around the bush and on the way out to batting practice Gary Sheffield grabbed me by the collar and he's like hey listen I appreciate what you said, and you're right, but don't ever open your mouth again until you help us win a ball game, you know? And, and, and that's it. today's kids are different, man. They come up. They have a brand. They're on social media. They feel like they, they've been been pumped since since high school. So to them, they want to be a part of the team super quick. And, and um, I still do believe in, in that totem pole effect, but at the same time, there's the, the game's getting younger. Adapt and persevere is, it has to be. You have to have fun with this. You have to make guys feel included. It's the only way you're going to get the best out of them. But there also has to be a respect factor, and I think you can. I, I think you can toe the line. I think guys like Lance Berkman were able to do that. Speak brutal truth. Don't say. I always tell myself on the air, I'm never going to say anything on the air I wouldn't say to a guy in the clubhouse. I, I, I've always, I was the, I was the microphone guy on the bus. I like to bury, bury guys and have fun and bring everyone together from the, from the, listen, you know who the best players are on the team and you know who the 25th man is, but you don't, you don't have to beat them up about it every day. I think if you can make everyone feel like they're comfortable in, in, in the clubhouse, but yet knowing the boundaries of, of where their, their lot in life is at that particular moment. It's always, it's ever changing. Uh, I said, I was the 25th man for a while. I was maybe made my way up to about eight or nine at one point, but I never lost sight of, of kind of who the boy, big boys were. A big thank you to D-Row, as they call him. I think one day he'll be a manager if he wants to. Um, Mark DeRosa, part of this program back in uh, 2017. So that is just uh, some of uh, my favorite baseball stories told in in bite-sized fashion. That way you don't have to go back and listen to the whole thing, and you might not like all the topics I discuss, but uh, hopefully we'll call it a best of. Yes, a best of here in uh, the end of 2020. Again, I'll be doing more baseball stuff in 2021. I'll be doing hopefully more uh, you know, digging for Howard Stern Associates because people seem to enjoy those. Uh, f- met up with Santino Morella, so maybe Gangrel. I'm going to try to get some of these old wrestlers on and some of my favorite moments from the WWE back in the day. Just an, a cornucopia, a potpourri, if you will, of things 
that uh, I could talk about here on Here's the Pitch. So hopefully you enjoyed it, and thank you to my title sponsor, Masses Restaurants. Always looking for sponsors. It's uh, it's a great show. Hopefully you go to YouTube, look at all the views that it gets, and we could stick your name right there in the middle of the show, and you can have people all over the world hear about your product. So uh, ST Weekly, search that on YouTube, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening to today's show. We'll see you next time.